everybody, how you all doing? This is uh, Tom, the head at Heads on Sticks, with a uh, ninth episode of Heads on Sticks Chats. And uh, I'm delighted to be chatting to um, Brian Esser, better known as a Carbo Boing. Um, I kind of feel like this is a, a nice jump from um, last episode's Mental Butter, Lule Mental Butter. Uh, kind of sort of seem like kindred spirits to me in terms of their kind of musical aesthetics sensibilities. Um, Brian is a Florida electronic artist and uh, kind of makes. God, how do you describe? How do you describe um, Carbo Boing? I mean, kind of like one might call it Zolo, although I don't quite know uh, if that's a contentious term within the uh, Zolo community. Even if there is a Zolo, I don't, I don't know. But uh, but it's kind of like like this sort of gloopy gelatinous elasticated alien kind of electronic music uh, that, and it just seems to have a bit of a gloopy mulch of like early 90s like Nickelodeon sort of TV shows and sort of um, kind of bit, a bit of like Devo a bit of the residents all in there um, it's all quite it's quite colourful it's kind of it's hectic it's kind of kind of crazy uh, but it's very unique and uh, I really love it and I I can't remember when I first heard Carbo Boing, but it was, I think I became aware of Howard Records and I saw one of their early compilations they did and it had Carbo Boing on it and them and alongside Macula Dog was just this kind of absolutely wild new sound that I was just kind of found fascinating and uh, and then when I did a bit of homework I kind of realised that Carbo Boing was actually uh, one half of Yip Yip and I only really heard Yip Yip till very recently. Uh, I, I I was aware of Carbo Boing before Yip Yip, and uh, Yip Yip had kind of been, you know, pursuing this uh, this kind of uh, synth. It's not synth pop, is it? But it, this kind of very kind of uh, dislocated, kind of uh, weird synthesizer music. You know, kind of a bit of post punk in there as well. Uh, and yeah, just a really, a really fascinating sound. And, and uh, uh, they they parted ways. Um, and now Brian Esser continues solo under the Carbo Boing alias, and uh, he um, has a has a cultivated quite a dedicated following, you know. And he operates and plays under kind of sort of strange costumes and uniforms, and it's all yeah, it's all it's all a real world. And uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of opening up that brain and having a, having a figuring out who, what he's about and uh, you know what makes him tick. So. Um, yeah, Carbo Boing, I can't wait. Uh, so, Heads on Six Chats, number nine. Uh, Brian Esser, aka Cabo Boing. Chats number number nine, episode nine, and uh, oh, cool. how, how, how's you today? How, how's things? 
How's things going for you? I'm good. I uh, just started a bunch of days off work, so I'm <laughs> like uh, just excited. I actually took days off, so I think I have like almost two weeks off um, with nothing actually really to do besides just work on music and maybe get my house in order. Um, and then uh, last night, my I miraculously fixed my second H910 pitch shifter, which is a very scary machine to work on or have to work on. And not a lot of people can work on it. And um, I somehow fixed it myself. It wasn't like it was wildly broken, but it was kind of off and not working very well. So getting that working last night, it was, it was like, ah, oh, perfect timing. Like now I can just kind of hopefully make music yeah. uh, on, my, on this free time that I have. So. Well, considering the, the kind of music you make, the kind of um, sort of gelatinous, elasticated kind of electronic gloop that you like to make, yeah. I, uh, I would imagine the pitch shifter is something you really don't want broken. Yeah, the, I mean, I, there's almost no Cabo Boing without this particular pitch shifter. It's just like, uh, it's kind of the thing um, that when I uh, got got mine uh it, it both i had found um cheap like but broken like i found my first one for 50 dollars at the indoor flea market which is crazy you know and um and but there's only a few people in the world it seems like that will even work on these because they're really complex and like they're kind of pre-computer they're just really weird there's like hundreds of chips inside and they're sort of scary when you open it up and um Luckily, I, I'm friends with someone who knows how to work on them. And so it, it took, I think, a year or something to maybe more to get it back. But when, whenever it came back, it happened to be right when I needed it. And I mean, the second I, I mean, the probably the day I got it was when like my last album, Blob on a Grid, just started going, you know, and 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 that was the, kind of the start of the project. You know, I was looking for that kind of. I was coming out of being in a band for 11 years and I was looking for, you know, something that made it sound different or more unique, or, you know, I was just worried that my solo project would sound like one half of my old band, you know, like, like it's half as good. I was looking for that kind of new thing. And so, I mean, you know, that was, kind of a, a very a, I'm very lucky to have gotten it because I mean it, it, I'm not exaggerating when I say songs that I had demos of I started running through it and then it was like oh this is the band so yeah at this point my life equipment really is it's not a, it's not like a ton of equipment but a handful of things are like they kind of are my life and like the, uh, needless to say if I had to like pick you know three to five or something for the rest of my life i could do so but in my former band like i couldn't have done that i had you know i had all sorts of stuff and i, I never had connection with equipment like i do now where i'm like i think less about buying new gear and more about saving up and buying backups of what i have like i just want to preserve my ability to do this for as long as possible but you know these things are terrifying this this Pitch shifters from '74. You know, oh. I mean, that's that's wild. <laughs> it's, 
I, I don't know if it was made to last into the 2000s, you know, but. I kind of feel like it kind of probably was, though. I, if you look at those old, um, I, I don't know, I don't know, whether, I don't know if I like the word vintage, but like, uh, yeah, the, look, actual synthesizers and hardware and gear from, you know, like the mid-70s, they, they are like tanks, aren't they? They are, they, there is yeah. a durability to them. Yeah, they're they're amazing. I mean, the, the the I have another thing you can't see on the camera, but I have a Emu SP12 drum machine that's like you know kind of a legendary drum machine. Another thing I was very lucky to get when the prices were way low on them, and um, I love this thing so much because I can actually work on this, and I don't even I'm not a, a big electronic person. Like I don't totally know what I'm doing, but it has a really good service manual, and you can open it up. And everything's spaced out really well. Everything's just, it's, it's made like a car or something. I mean, less like a car. I don't know how to work a car, but I've, I've repaired this thing a couple of times, like with almost no problem, just reading the service manual and kind of just pinpointing the, the part and changing it. Cause it's not all gooped together in some, uh, you know, insane way. Like it, it's, it, it really was meant to, I think this one was meant to last. And I think that's why you see a lot of them still out there, you know, like that's certainly why I, mine still works is I've, I've fixed it a couple of times. I, I'm some, some of these I'm so used to opening, like, I'm just like, Oh, okay. I feel like I, I'm almost learning electronics through just having to open them sometimes and change their batteries and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, analog synthesizers and kind of more and sort of hard sort of associated hardware from 30, 40 50 years ago uh it does they just seem to lend itself to the idea of, of sitting in a room and just exploring in a way that maybe yeah. you know I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say no other instrument does but you know there is just something about i think i think i think a layman can sit and explore and create something really interesting whereas you, you an amateur can't sit with a guitar and come up with something um, yeah, you, you can't get equal results. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think everything I have has this kind of like magic quality to it that I think, I, I don't know. Every now and then I'll I'll try to invite friends over. I had a friend come over the other day to work on music for a podcast that they're starting, and um, you know, in my head I, I had my stuff set up, some stuff that you can't see on the camera, and like. I was like, oh, I'll show them how to work this and that, and I'll let them make their own sounds, you know. And like, I three three minutes into trying to explain just how to change the floppy disk, I'm like, I mean, this is a person who doesn't even know they've never seen a floppy disk before, you know. Mm -hmm. Like that alone is complicated. So there's, you know, yeah, sure, I can turn on this ARP and probably you could start getting some sounds going anyone can then there's other things that i feel like are simple but they're not <laughs> and like or my angle on them is maybe not not simple or whatever and so it's it's weird i'm always trying to demystify what i'm doing and and i truly want to believe that anyone could do what i'm doing but every now and then i'm kind of reminded like no maybe i have actually learned quite a bit in 20 years of doing this crap <laughs> i think yeah, you, was, you must have picked yeah. something up yeah yeah i i always want to believe that uh, you know i always think like no i'm just an idiot that just happens to have this stuff and anyone can do it and i don't know i, I guess i'd rather 
be like that and then try to show people. I mean, I, I have successfully gotten some people into doing stuff. So clearly it's not as impossible as it sometimes seems. It just depends on the person. Yeah, sure. Um, some people are just natural, you know. I mean, some people just can, they can get their hands on one of these things. I have a friend who has a project called Baggy that like, you know, I kind of helped with some, you know, suggestions for samplers and stuff they could get uh, that he could get and um i mean within a year he was making stuff that i'm like damn this is so good like it, it felt like better than stuff i'm doing and i'm like how is how did this person figure this out so quickly and also is like just pumping out tracks and i'm sitting here i just i always feel like a, a turtle you know like i'm just like <laughs> my process is very slow and uh I don't know. I get jealous sometimes of my more naturally gifted friends. Like my me, me making stuff feels like a it's an endurance challenge. <laughs> well, you know, so, some of the greatest albums uh, took years to make. You know, Scott Walker would take like eleven years to make. Oh yeah, that's right. His albums and things, you know, because he needed to uh, he needed to capture the sound of someone punching a bag of meat or something for like five, yeah. years, you know, and whatever. Man, everyone everyone's got their method, you know. Yeah, mine's maybe less conceptual than that, but it's more just like I I have no actual human talent, I think. So I have to like, you know, granularize like everything into, you know, little bits and try to, you know, <laughs> learn how to make like complicated music as a person who barely knows how to play or couldn't tell you a chord on the keyboard, you know? <laughs> What's your, what's your formative music memories? Oh, like as a kid? Just yeah, the what you consider the foundation, you know. Wow. Um, well, I do really genuinely believe that I have childhood memories of seeing Pee Wee's Playhouse as a kid, and like I I don't like you know I I was born in 1982, so I mean I got to live through. You know, it's kind of funny. My my main area of musical interest is kind of the late 70s through the mid 90s. And I lived through a good part of that, even though I had no concept of any of that until after the mid 90s. Um, but I feel like all of that stuff was seeds being planted. You know, um, my my dad was a pinball machine. Um, he worked for pinball machine uh, factory when I was a kid. And so I grew up with pinball machines in the house, like every year of my life since I was born. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in how those things must have changed my brain because, you know, I mean, I've actually learned over the years how much the technology is related of, of certain things that pinball machines technology that pinball machines use for sound and some of the stuff that I use for uh, music. And um, so I know the, I know those are really early things. And, um, and then, you know, as far as like first things I remember really, really getting into was uh, God, I was early stuff. I was like, maybe when I was like 11 or 12, like Beck and 
Beastie Boys early stuff. I remember those were some of my first like obsessive, you know, like like I love this music, you know, and um, and then like yeah, I grew up in a really funny time, so I was a very confused child. I had like um, you know, Beastie Boys and Beck early on, and then I got into Marilyn Manson when I was like a awkward. 14 year old probably um there we say his name now yeah i know it's sad like uh, definitely some people have (laughs) i mean i'm not i guess i shouldn't be surprised but like you know and i certainly wasn't i don't know it was i was the right time for a lot of things i was into marilyn manson when he was scary and it it was like a cartoon almost you know and um you know i liked that for a couple years and then um and then immediately after that, that one of the next big things was uh, ska music. And, um, you know, I was I was like 15 when, you know, third wave ska kind of like got big. And um, I was all for that. Like, I mean, I made a total switch from like a borderline goth to a uh, to a, you know, total ska freak. And um and ska is how I got into um, underground music. And um, so that's when I started doing mail order and um, like uh, started becoming aware of like smaller labels and stuff. Like MTV definitely was the first thing I, I saw ska on. But then, you know, you start buying the CDs and there would be catalogs in the back. And I started getting into mail order and then. Um, and then from there, like kind of my last like memory before, you know, as a kid or like, you know, before I graduated high school, like, you know, a, a punk friend at my high school made me a punk mixtape that had all the punk bands on it, you know, uh, Crass and Dead Kennedys and stuff. But at the very end was uh, Melt Banana and The Locust. And I mean, I just... <laughs> It's one of those like weird things is like, God, would I have ever heard that without that mixtape or something? You know, it's just, it was pre-internet kind of, or I mean, I guess the internet sort of existed, but it wasn't like how you think of it now. And, and so I started mail ordering from them. And, and then I started like meeting bands and stuff. You know, you, you start going to smaller and smaller shows and you're like, oh, these are just people, you know? And so it wasn't long after that that my first band started in 2001. And we were called Yip Yip, and uh, and yeah, we went all the way to 2012. I think that's. <laughs> I'm skipping over. I'm sure a million little things or whatever, but that, I mean, the, that's that's the the big ones that that kind of. I feel like all of those things, including the pinball and Pee Wee's Playhouse, and you know, all of it's in there to some degree. I definitely can. Um... I can definitely see Pee Wee's Playhouse in there. There is something um, when I when I try if I consider what your music is visually, when I just sort of close my eyes and consider the visual quality of it, it is kind of um, uh, it, it it does have that kind of uh, loud, garish interior. You know, it is it is uh, yeah. I don't know, how you, I don't know that kind of sharp colors, angular design, kind of uh, yeah, it's sort of a well, so I've heard some some people describe that as Zolo, Z-O-L-O. Um, but, you know, it's also what those guys were drawing from was like 
I think like Memphis style, like furniture and patterns and stuff. I mean, I, you know, this is all stuff I've only learned more in the probably past 10 years and anything, you know, you start going, wait, what made Pee Wee's Playhouse so good? Or, you know, um, you know, and, and Mark Mothersbaugh with the sounds on Pee Wee's Playhouse. I mean, you know, it, it, this is all post my other band, like, uh, learning about samplers and what's so different about when you do it on a computer in Ableton in 2022 versus like some of these old machines, like the, the character that these things have are just, are just crazy. And you, and you can hear it, you can hear it in bands like Devo or whatever, where like, you know, maybe you like that early stuff they're doing with the Fairlight, but by the nineties, they're using the samplers. It's just, they, they lack that character and they sound a little more just like, I don't know, but like, yeah, I'm obsessed with stuff like that. I, and I, and I think it's kind of fun. I think I even realized like around the time I was becoming really aware of like the history of like sample samplers and stuff like that, and like getting more into understanding the gear that I'm using or obsessed with, or have always liked in music and kind of putting the puzzle together. Um, I think I like figured out that Mark Mothersbaugh was like, whatever age I was in my, you know, it was probably my mid thirties um, when he was first doing Pee Wee's Playhouse at the Fairlight. And they had just done this album shout that I don't think was very well received, but I really like it. And I, I just think that's kind of, it's kind of funny, like your heroes. I didn't even mean to do it. It's just like, my life is pointing in some of the same directions where I'm just also in my mid thirties alone sitting with like a weird old sampler, you know, I even like did this one technique running a toy keyboard into the sampler and kind of sending its MIDI out to random sounds, you know, it's just like something I, I, I thought of doing and I did it. And I swear I like heard something that I've heard in Pee Wee's Playhouse. And I was like, oh my God, of course, he probably did the same thing. And like the years check out, like this toy existed then, this thing with MIDI existed then. And here I am accidentally doing the same thing. I mean, I'd love to talk to him about it. I'm sure he wouldn't remember, but like, what a weird thing to like, it's not like I read it in a magazine and was like, oh, I should try that. Like I naturally did that. That was me adding, you know, one thing and another thing thinking I'm coming up with something really possibly really unique and like no it's been done <laughs> well um, there is I think there's there's a few videos of Mark Mothers but kind of uh, in the, it, it was it Mutato Musica yeah, yeah studio I forgot I forgot what it's called exactly but um, yeah, that's yeah yeah but uh he there's like you know he's just showing off all these like he's just got like a box of toys and old gadgets and yeah one of my favorites is he's got a little voice recorder where and it, and it wasn't it wasn't a professional thing. It was it was literally a toy, but you know you record into it. You can play it backwards. But he figured out that um, uh, if you say we smell sausages, yeah, if you play it backwards, it's Jesus loves you. Yeah, <laughs> just things like that. I think I think that's uh... no. He's great. I mean, what a what a good positive influence to have out there it's his birthday today and i forget i just read what his age was but i it's in his 70s and i mean you know i just saw a video of them playing the other day and they were amazing and you know what a what a great thing to think that i could be doing 
being how I am, you know, for another 30 years or something is, uh, yeah. was something to, to be happy about, you know, cause there's, there's stuff about making music. Sometimes you feel like I already sometimes feel like I'm past my expiration date of like, I mean, a lot of the people I started with are long gone as far as musically long gone, you know, they don't make music anymore, but, um, so there's this weird thing where you feel like, like, should I even be doing this? But yeah, anybody, anybody out there that's still doing it, like Mark Mothersbaugh, you know, you're like, thank you for existing. You know, I, I don't even really care. I don't know. Like, I don't care if they put out another album or anything. I'm just like, thank you for being a quirky person out there, you know, showing you can do this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can still be fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Devo shout because do you know what? I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of didn't really get it. I, I, and I, for me, Devo's like I, I love Devo, and for me, it kind of ended with a, oh no, it's Devo. But are yeah. you are you suggesting that there's um, there's shout is worthy of another look? I I feel like so. This is my thing. I I also I started my first Devo album. I found was. Oh no, it's Devo, and so I I love that album too, and I love all the pre Shout albums. I like Shout because I really connected with Shout after my band broke up, and I've I've heard they don't talk about Shout a lot. I I know that it's not a great time for them, but as far as I can tell, it's the album Mark Mothersbaugh kind of whether I don't know if he decided he wanted to basically do it on his own or whether he needed to kind of do it on its own, but it certainly feels like the album where he kind of took control and tried to almost synthesize his own band. And um, there's a lot of pretty dark lyrics on the album too, you know, like songs that are very clearly seem to be written about like them not having more success than (laughs) they were hoping to have. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's about as dark as I like to go. You know, I like, I like songs that are poppy and have these funny, you know, synthesizer trombone samples and stuff. And like, but like, you're listening to lyrics, you're like, oh man, this is someone who's really bitter. (laughs) You know, this is somebody who's upset about the way things worked out for them. And I wouldn't say I'm bitter in the same way. I'm, I actually feel wildly fortunate of any attention I've ever gotten. Um, I wasn't expecting it ever. And I still am shocked anytime anyone pays attention to what I'm doing, but, um, but yeah, like, I I just, I just think it's cool in that way. Like I like, I I love, um, I, I like bands. I love bands, but I, I do also like bands that are one or two people, solo projects or duos or whatever, where, you know, they don't have a drummer and they did the drums like, you know, a a non-drummer programmed the drums like bands like uh, They Might Be Giants and Ween. I I love both of those bands and I kind of wish that they never got live drummers and, you know, I just, I think it was way more interesting to hear that there's these two dorks that like, you know, want to be a band so much that they created they created the band. They didn't have the members, so they created the members. One of my biggest, I kind of left it out in that long 
list of influences, but uh, like one of the first, literally the first house show I went to um, when I was a kid was Adam and his package. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Adam and his package. No, it's kind of smaller. So he, he was um, kind of in the late nineties. He was definitely like a punk rock guy, like a dorky punk rock guy that like wrote, he had a nasally nerdy kind of voice and he played punk shows with hardcore bands and punk bands. He played at all these different kinds of shows, but it was, it was called Adam and his package. And his name was Adam. And the package was a sequencer. It was like a old nineties Yamaha music sequencer that he just programmed punk music sort of on. It didn't sound punk at all because it's that era very like, uh, general midi kind of like you know sounds like i don't even know what it sounds it sounds like <laughs> general midi can sound pretty funny but uh, it de- definitely didn't sound punk you know and like um and he would just sing these songs about food and other weird stuff like using the metric system and stuff and they'd come and play these house shows and god i wish i like when i was a kid and i saw that i wish i would have had the courage to go up and be like, what is this machine? You know, like I didn't, I didn't learn what that machine was for another 10 years of my life or whatever. But um, again, seed probably being planted where I was like, I would hate to see Adam in his package with the full band. You know, I like, I like seeing, I like that there's this guy who made all these songs with this machine. I'm, I literally am Put the machine on a on a chair and I'll, I'll i'll be happy like it's a person you know like i i just think that that's really interesting so this so that's sort of my long answer of why i think shao is is interesting it, it, without knowing what actual drama was going on to me it feels like mark mothersbaugh's little computer experiment where he could see if he could essentially create the band on a computer and and i think a lot of it is is really interesting and really fun After, uh... I'll have to listen to it. Yeah, I, there is a there is a single around that time, which isn't which isn't that hard, which isn't that easy to find. But it's not it doesn't seem to be available in any kind of uh, legitimate music site, or you can't stream it or anything. But um, they did they did a single for a Danny Dan Aykroyd comedy. Uh, yeah, at that time I thought it's called now. Yeah, but yeah, I'm. Oh Doctor, my God, is it Doctor something? Yeah, Doctor. Uh, oh my God, I can't believe I'm blanking i'm blanking but yeah it's it's a yeah it's, it's a really it, great pop song it's a really and i, I and I, I actually kind yeah. of that was like that's like to me that was that sort of as far as i went and i think that might have been a year before shout but it definitely has that um it's definitely a sound that feels even more synthesized than uh prior albums even even oh no it's devo which is that's a very that's a more electronic yeah. uh, album it's, it's less post-punk isn't it it's not yeah. Oh, I love God. I love Oh No, It's Devo so much. I mean, you know, the, the thing that is funny because a lot of people don't like Shout because of it being computerized, but like, uh, you know, another thing I've come to learn is that, you know, Oh No, It's Devo is almost entirely sequencer based. It's yeah. not them do, 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 do. Like they, at that point, they were like full on, they had all the, fancy sequencers driving their they were still analog synths but they were they were driving them and uh i'm I'm sure there was live playing going on but it was definitely like blurred and they and that actually starts all the way back to um oh my god like 
not freedom of choice, but a new traditionalist, there's several songs with a thing called a lindrum, which was like an early uh, drum machine that like Prince was like famous for using. And like, you know, I remember like, you know, when they lost, or well, I don't remember when, but I, you know, there's always this thing is like when they lost Alan Myers, uh, you know, that that's when I was out is like, man, there were so many songs where Alan Myers was, it was a drum machine and maybe he whacked a snare, uh, percussion synth on top of it or whatever like I again I think all of it's cool I think the songs that he did where it was him playing like a like a incredible machine like on a, the satisfaction cover I think that's amazing but I also love that they took new equipment um and uh and would try things um and 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 the mix I think is the most interesting thing like having totally sequenced drum machines and then playing synths on top i mean i kind of like all of it and then like yeah i mean weirdly i like shout i like peewee's playhouse stuff a lot i don't after that i don't love everything it starts it it you know i don't know i do i guess i don't need to get into like <laughs> it's not a lot of people are like crazy about shout and the later stuff, I don't think the band they're they are crazy about it, but I like um I th I think that there's good and bad synthetic. Like I think some computer stuff is is amazing and really ahead of its time. And then like I read a keyboard magazine interview with Mark Mothersbaugh in 90 when they were making smooth noodle maps, and I was like, God, no wonder I don't like this album, you know, like yeah. The people who lived through those times, I empathize with them a lot. I can't imagine buying a $100,000 Fairlight and then having it be absolutely obsolete in like less than five years. You know, I mean, I, what is that like? Of course, you would be bitter and of course, you'd move on to other stuff. And, you know, it's much easier from the future <laughs> to look back at these machines and cherry pick them for their their quirks and do it on a computer where you can edit forever until the end of time, you know? How did you meet Jason Temple and how did Yip Yip come about? Um, well, we went to high school together. Um, he was one of the punkest kids at school. He was way cooler than me. Uh, he was in a ska band. Um, he went with me to that Adam and his package house show. That was a big day for me because I, I was actually invited to go. So it was a huge, huge day to go to a house. My first house show with like local, local bands. And um, I bought my first like record, I think at that that show from a friend of mine who actually lives in the town I live in now, Andrew Chadwick. And um, uh, we, we were friends, sort of. We weren't close friends. And then I got asked to play in my first band. I don't think we ever had a name. I think we almost called it Hello Car, but we only played one halloween party and that was it we practiced for like a year and we wrote i think like four songs and i didn't even own a synthesizer at that point i was just borrowing one of theirs and then i bought my first my first synthesizer um 
for that Halloween show, it was my graduation present and the um uh and and I think we knew the Halloween show was going to be it because they were like moving away to go to college, like two of the members. And so it was just sort of like, whatever, let's do whatever, like who cares? And so they, I was starting to hang out with Jason more at that time. This was, I think we had just graduated and like he had bought a theremin or I think he bought a theremin kit and put it together. And so we invited him to play theremin at the show, even though he had never practiced with us or known any of the songs. And we did that and then and then my friends moved and me and Jason were still hanging out and we just you know I don't I think we were we were going to shows a lot then and so you know I was seeing a lot of like small local shows where people were doing really weird things and I was like we should do something you know there's that's the best thing about you know local punk shows and stuff you know, especially if they book anything, you know, see weird bands that just sang about pizza and stuff. You'd be like, I can do this. <laughs> um, so we, um, yeah, we, uh, we started recording. We, we had a friend who had an eight track digital recorder and he came over once and recorded us. And then he disappeared. I mean, he straight up disappeared. I never saw that person again in my life. We got the songs, luckily. And then my dad, when I was kind of telling him, I was like, oh, man, I think my band is already done because the guy who recorded us disappeared and I don't know how he did it. <laughs> and my dad like got, gave me a copy of the software called Acid Music. It's, it was like probably came for free with this computer. And uh, I still use it to this day. It's like my software of choice, even though it's ancient. Um, I don't know how, but we like immediately under kind of understood the software i think and like and that really became the band because the first first bunch of songs were just kind of us playing around with toy keyboards and stuff the getting acid music and understanding how to record sounds to a computer is where we immediately got into like the idea of collaging weird sounds and basically just making making songs out of anything that we could possibly capture the sound of you know um did I answer the question? I'm so sorry. I'm so bad at answering questions. No, it's, no, it's all right. You, you actually kind of, you're quite helpfully covering uh, certain questions. No, I was <laughs> answering the question about. and then taking it like 10 yeah. years further every single time. Yeah. Oh, you know what? We, we're kind of going in. It's a, uh, it's a uh, twist <laughs> and unexpected detours. It's kind of like your music, uh, Brian. So yeah. It's, it's yeah. So that, I mean, that's how I met him in high school and, and yeah, we, we clicked when we started making the songs and we had acid music. I mean, we were inseparable. We, every single day we would, we would write a song in acid music. We'd burn it to CD. This was right when CD burners became, you know, something everyone had and um, burn it to CD with whatever songs we had done the nights before. And we'd listen to it on the way to the arcade and we'd go play pinball and then we'd go to hospital and eat uh pancakes and uh and we did that every night for a very long time <laughs> and uh we were inseparable after that and yip yip was that was all we did for pretty much 11 years you know we played uh birthday parties am i right we played everything i mean i've been i've been trying to make a show list of like now so i'm having to like 
I'm like using um, Wayback Machine and like signing into old email things that I haven't signed into for 15 years, like trying to retrace my steps. And um, I mean, we played so much stuff. We played almost 500 shows from what I've counted so far. And yeah, we played, we'd play anything. We played so much. (laughs) Like, I mean, it was a very rapid acceleration of like playing you know, just a few local shows to then people inviting us to play outside of Orlando. We started playing Gainesville. We started playing, I think we went up to Georgia and then, then we got invited on our first tour. And then after that, it was just like, damn, we played all the time. Like some of the years are unbelievable because we always had day jobs. I'm just like, how the hell do we, how do we play like 120 shows in 2007 like when I remember working too like I just you know that like energy I guess you have in your 20s you know just crazy what about um what about Scudnips Scudnips was um later um we Scudnips was after an album called Two Kings of the Same Kingdom and we at that point we're getting every album we were getting more meticulous with our acid writing software as far as like, you know, we were trying to make full on prog rock music with almost no actual human ability to do so. And like, so it was, we would, it would take us uh, months to write certain songs, you know, piece by piece, sound by sound. And Scudnips came, um, I think we were driving ourselves crazy, like progressively every album, because every album, it took longer and longer and longer and longer to do. And um, Scudnips happened because I, I was, I've always bought and sold music equipment, especially back then. I don't do it so much now, but Florida was like a paradise for finding old synthesizers in the, in the 2000s. I mean, Craigslist, um, you know, I found things for, you know, a 10th of what they should have cost even back then, let alone what they're selling for now. Um, I would just buy everything that I could buy that, that we'd find for cheap. And I would sample a lot of it. I would sell it. One time I found this garage sale and I, I cleaned the guy out. I mean, it was unbelievable. The person was, was someone who had passed away and the, I think the wife was selling the stuff and it was all these like 80s, 90s, like rack, rack, um like rompler sort of things and uh and like drum modules and stuff and they i mean i feel like she was selling them to me for like 25 dollars each or 50 dollars each you know something wild and i i bought them all and um we took them home and i i'd happened to buy this uh this toy i still have it it's called a breakaway vocalizer 1000 and it's this toy I think that sharper image maybe sold the where it's like a microphone connected to this little module and um you sing into it and it plays the sound um so it's like pitch to MIDI but and um we didn't know anything about MIDI at the time I don't know what I truly don't know how I how we even thought to think you know we should get a midi cable like there had to be somebody in my life i try to be that 
person for people now. <laughs> like, just be like, you know, this cable could do some really cool things if you just literally attach it. <laughs> Someone must have done it because I get, I got a couple MIDI cables and just ran that breakaway vocalizer into these many racks that we had gotten. We were running them, like chaining them, just like, ding, 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 ding. And we would like hold the mic up to like the drum machine coming out of an amp or something. And it would like play, you know, the pitch to MIDI would convert in this really gnarly, but sort of repetitive way would, would make sequences. Like you could run a drum beat into it and it would try to convert it to notes. And so much of Scudnips is, is that it's like, just, it, it was back to basics, like a bunch of crap hooked up on our, um, on the floor and just recording everything. And just, uh, and so, to me, Scudnips was like this therapy project that we sort of needed that was like, it was so fun. I mean, none of them really sound like song songs. Uh, none of them had arrangements in the way that our actual Yip Yip stuff had. But I look back on that stuff and I mean, a lot of it, I still am wildly impressed with. I mean, it's it's very much like capturing magic and that's a lot of what I do now or try to do now it's still difficult. I can run a million things that make wild sounds and sequences, but like being able to edit them into an actual song that has any form of song structure is, is incredibly difficult. Um, sometimes it's impossible, um, but I'm still going for that. I, I love to try to start with wild things and try to force them into into a song so yeah that's that's all scudnips was we did it once i think we i think we made 30 songs or something in like a week or something it was very like therapeutic and we just put, burned them all to cd and distributed it to them and um you know i still have friends to this day that said that that was a really inspiring that was some people i think are more inspired by that than our yip yip stuff which is Wow. Interesting. Because <laughs> I spent so much less time on that Scudnip stuff, but that's okay. Uh, after Yip Yip ended, you moved to New York, right? And, yes, uh, not long after. Can I ask how New York uh, informed your creative uh, directions at that time, or how did how did how did New York kind of you know did 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 New York's character find its way in your in your creative process or your work in any way at that time? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, moving to New York was critical in getting Cabo Boing off the ground. Um, yeah, I was I was really. Um, I never, I really, uh, I'm sure it sounds ridiculous, um, to most people, but I never had any concept that Yip Yip would break up. <laughs> I like very much thought we would do music forever and that we would be best friends forever. And, uh, so when it broke up, I was really kind of devastated and we had played so many shows and had done so much in Orlando, like just living in Orlando was horrible after that, you know, everything reminded me of, of 
the band and stuff and um any show i would go to after that you know it was just like it was just rough it was rough for years and luckily my wife had got a job opportunity in new york and i had just been there i i played briefly in a kind of psychedelic experimental rock band called moon jelly um i was kind of trying my hand at like being like a producer type or something or trying, trying to be like Eno oh, or something you know and the, the, you know the, the guy in the back twisting all the eventide knobs and stuff and making everyone sound weird and um and it was it was fun but it was, we really only did this one little tour up the east coast and um and we stayed in new york and i had um i had some friends up there I had this one friend ben who runs uh, Howard Records that all my Cabo Boing stuff is on. Um, I don't think Howard was a thing quite yet, but he was he was making music as a tumbleweave. And I, these are people that I met as kids. Uh, on to, I was on tour with this band, The Locust, which was one of our, you know, biggest moments, you know, 2006, 2007, something like that. We were, we toured with The Locust and Florida and then we toured with them like a little later in the year like all over the U.S. and um but at one of those Florida shows I met these kids that were probably like 14 or 15 or 16 maybe and they seemed really amped on Yip Yip and I couldn't believe it I mean I, I remember even like signing uh an autograph or something on one of their CDs and like anyway these kids like you know only a few years later they're they have bands and and then they had this band Tumbleweave and it was like amazing. And then they kind of split up for a minute. One person was in uh, new college in, in Florida and one was at a college in New York. Anyway, I'm on tour with Moon Jelly and like, it was one of the only times I, I always was so scared on tour. I would never really explore. I stayed with my friend Ben and like, he lives in this place called Ridgewood, part of New York. And it was, it was just, it was the first time where I was like, man, I could actually see living here. This is fun. And like all these weird people are up here. I kept meeting all these people and stuff just in my short time there. I was like, I, I called my wife and was like, you should apply for a job up here. And so she did. And she ended up getting a job at Columbia university. I mean, it felt uh, within two months or something of me calling her on that tour, she got the word that she had gotten the job and we were going to New York. It was just such a, such a random thing that it was one of the only time I'm, I'm very much a creature of habit. So like, and I, and I'm very scared of change. It was just a rare moment where I, I just, I was all about it. I wanted change so bad. So we moved to New York and, um, and those, you know, and Ben was up there and then his, his bandmate Matt was up there. Um, they started Howard Records and was immediately asking me to put out stuff. They started a band called Macula Dog that are unbelievable. They're one of the best bands ever. And um, yeah, I mean they're fantastic. They're 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 unbelievable, and you should you should interview them too because their their story is awesome. But they um, you know they're they were they are and were some of my best friends immediately. Even though there's a ten year gap between us, you know I've feel kind of like their weird uncle or dad or something and and a lot of them remind me of yip yip so much because they bicker and 
fight and stuff. And I'm like, you guys should love each other more. But they like, um, they were such a positive influence. They literally would not let me die up there. They just, they were like, <laughs> they practically forced me to do Cabo Boing. And then, like I said, I, I got this harmonizer back from my friend Paul who repaired it. And then it started clicking where, cause I was making stuff. I just wasn't happy with it. I was like, this project sucks. I didn't want to start playing it live or anything. And then once I got the pitch shifter, everything kind of came into place. And I think by the second show, I, I had incorporated the guitar and that was kind of the, the final element where I was like, Oh my God, this feels like a completely different project. It doesn't feel like this sad echo of my former life with the Yip you know, it feels like a, a, an actual new and a, a second life that I've, that I've gotten. And I'm just kept doing that, you know, I mean, I, I'm so happy to have a second chance at a lot of this stuff because a lot of the Yip Yip stuff is so old now. I can hardly remember. It's all a blur. It's so nice to have a, a chance to do it as a fully grown person where I can really, I think, appreciate everything that happens to me now a lot more deeply than I did back then. Mm. I think back then I just took a lot of things for granted and thought it would just happen forever, you know. You uh, you know, it's you mentioned uh, Howard Records. That's a, that's a label I love, you know. But uh, it's so it's so great, isn't it, when you see a label where they really are like a family, yeah, you know, and they're about they're about nurturing their their roster of artists in, in their in their care and their in their community. And uh, you know, I, what I love about Howard Records is I, I love record labels where there's a kind of um, there's a there's a real identity to the label, you know, and there's a real yeah. character there's a real unifying characteristic of the artists in that label. And uh, I think Howard Records is one of the most distinct, uh, um, uh, just one of the most distinct labels in years, you know, and uh, I think I, I you know, I, I, I can, Carbo Boing's music just seems to just totally fit right in the, right in the heart of, uh, of what they do, you know? Yeah. Nothing made me happier than to start having songs come out of me that, not only fit the aesthetic that they were immediately do. I mean, it's the best thing when you have positive influence and a friendly rival. I don't know if that's, you know, but you can't be friends with Macula dog, go to their house and see the things that they're cooking up and go, all right, I'm going to do something boring. You know, I mean, you just, you, you look at your stuff almost upside down, just like, how can I, how can I compete in any way with, with these people? And, 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 you know, that was a, you know, an, a late answer to your question of the New York thing that at least at that time, I, at least at that time versus what was happening in Orlando at that time, when Yip Yip broke up by that time, almost all of our peers were gone. A lot of people had just left. Florida towns are very up and down. They can be amazing sometimes and they can be totally dead sometimes. Um, it was a great time to be in New York pre-COVID um, with, with some of the most amazing people, you know, all of my best, a lot of my best music friends are up there. They're still inspiring me every single day. And, uh, you know, and there, there were places for us all to play. And um, 
it, it was just perfect. It was absolutely, absolutely perfect. I, the only reason we left is that we, um, New York just didn't seem sustainable and we left right before COVID and thank God we did because I don't know how we would have survived it. It just, I would have lost my job immediately. You know, again, just one of those things where you're just happy that you, you did the thing when you did it and, but also that you got out or whatever. I am, you know, I'm very thankful for my time up there. It, it, it re ignited like a second life for me that like I still have, like it didn't, it didn't die the second I stepped out of New York. They're still all my best friends. I talk to them all the time, but like, um, I just do it from Florida <laughs> where I can, where I can more comfortably survive. interesting approach to your costumes and, and, and as i understand it the costumes uh, are uh, a way of sort of concealing uh some stage fright or anxiety yes H- had you had you ever considered going the kind of in yip yip or in carbo boing had you ever considered the uh going the extra mile doing the kind of resident style anonymity uh thing or was that never appealing to you it's not that it's not appealing. I love the resident story, but there's two things about that, that I, I've grown to, I don't know. I love the residents. They're, they're one of my favorites, obviously. Um, first of all, I don't think you can do that now and you certainly can't do it. I don't think they can even do it because they got outed basically after, you know, they, they held a long time not knowing who they were, but you know, it it was after the internet, you know, where that stuff started to come out. If you wanted to know who they were, you could figure it out, you know, but like, um, you, you just can't do that. Uh, Their story is very different than Yip Yip story. Obviously Uh, they, they got popular and were selling, apparently lots of records i i heard them in a ronaldo and the loaf documentary recently and i think they said that they sold i can't remember but it was i want to say fifty thousand copies of eskimo this is pre-mtv this is they weren't playing live you know i mean that that uh so by the time they ever played live they could play shows with uh, in theaters where they controlled every aspect of them getting on that stage since Yip Yip started, we play, but yeah, we play house shows, we play coffee shops, we play outside under the bridge, we played generator shows, we played, I've had to get in my little stupid costume, I've had to get practically naked before concealing myself for that stage fright, I practically have had to get naked in front of people standing right there waiting for me to play, you know, there, a lot of the places that I've played, there's not even a bathroom to go or a mirror to look in, you know, like, um, it's just impossible to be that. The other thing I'd say is I would rather, because I think Macula Dog are doing a good job being more mysterious. They're less blabbermouthy than me. And that's fun. Uh, it's great. But, um, I, I've grown at, at my age I've, and having people like Mackie Dog and other friends that I know 
I had some hand in inspiring at some point in their lives. Like I am, I, I want to talk to people and I, I, I would rather, I look at every person at a show as like a potential friend and a potential peer music peer. Like I'm trying to convert people. I'm trying to get people to pick up a synthesizer themselves. I've done it before and I want to keep doing it. That's the only way to keep this kind of music and uh, this type of equipment and stuff all, is alive is demystifying it. Every year it goes on, this stuff gets further and further away from the public's eye. And like, it, it just becomes more and more mysterious and impossible seeming. And I want to be the person that's like, no, it's not. I promise. Like, um, so I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm almost anti-mysterious when it comes to that. I, I want you to, I don't want you to know who I am for any egotistical thing. I want you to feel like you can email me and I'm going to write you back. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there that can testify to the fact that even back in Yip Yip, there are people who remember us from MySpace days and they're like, yeah, you, you gave me advice on my first synthesizer back in 2005. <laughs> it's like, that's so cool. I love that. I'd, I, I'd hate to be mysterious and not have sent that email. I'd give up the mystery in one second to like help one person get into this stuff. Cause if I didn't do this, I don't know what I would do with my life. Like this is, this is every day. I just obsessively think about and work on music. Like if, if I can do that for anybody, I'm going to do that over any, any art idea. Yeah. The, the costumes is very much when they're good. It's just that I got lucky and uh, they're mainly for stage fright. They're not, there's not even much of a point to them. I'm not really trying to say anything with them. That's I'm just kind of trying to keep the anxiety down so that I can play. And that's a bonus if it, maybe looks kind of interesting or something yeah and i think like you know and, and i i share your um your love of the residents um and i do i do like mystery i do like mystique and i think you know um the what can happen is it, is it becomes aloof doesn't it it becomes uh inaccessible and i think it's very easy to disappear in in uh, up into uh spheres of self-importance you know so i think it's uh i think yeah it's, you've got to be vigilant about that haven't you and you've got to you, and you want you know you want that you want that accessibility with your with your with your fans and the, in the artistic community and and just like-minded people you know it's just no fun being the only person <laughs> you know i don't want to be the only person in florida doing stuff like this i want to i want to play a show where four other bands are you know doing totally wacky stuff too i mean it's uh you know a, a good a good example with the residence is that i've been a fan of the residence since early yip yip days and i've only gotten more and more obsessed with them over the years i've learned more about the residents and their process since hardy fox died than before that and i wish i knew it 10 years before that it would have helped me you know, I'm learning things in the past couple of years that are life changing to me now. Yeah. Why not tell me then? You know, I just that I love the I love the weird photos and <laughs> I love their costumes. I love everything. 
but I like information too. I, 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 I you know, that's why I like the Beatles or something. I, there's no mystery about the Beatles. Anything I could ever want to know about the Beatles is out there and I'm glad it's there. It's helpful. So sure. I'll watch the Beatles documentary, that eight hour long one. And there's stuff in that. If it, if it doesn't inspire you, even if you're making the weirdest music in the world, I don't know what will, you know, and also, you, yeah. when you get fly on the wall sort of thing like that, you know. And also, we know everything about the Beatles, but I mean, that doesn't make Tomorrow Never Knows any less, any less mysterious. I know. It's still it's still magic that the, the documentary shows him writing you know, get out or get back, sorry, and uh, from li- from the air. <laughs> yeah. And it's still awesome. And it still doesn't make you go, God dang, Paul is a maniac. Like, but like, so yeah, there's still mystery, but you're, you're showing it. Like, uh, I don't know that li- there's still plenty of mystery. That I, I, I know a million things about the residents in Devo as an obsessive fan, but there's still a million questions I'd love to have answered, you know, and uh, there's still plenty of mystery. So, sure. um, yeah. Do you like cardiac? Can I ask? I'm wearing the shirt. I was wondering if you like them. You know what? For many years, I didn't get them. I just didn't get them, right? And then uh, what's that? What's that one album? What's that kind of? What's that sort of significant? What's that main album they did? Um, like the later stuff, "Sing to God." Oh, I forgot. Was it like their quirky? Was it their quirky stuff, or was it their rocky sort of stuff? Hang on. Yeah. Cardiacs. Uh, it was a little man in a house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I, I, I love listened, that album. I listened to that album and I was like, oh, actually, this is really good. And that, yeah. that was like that was actually like in the last couple of years. Like, uh, but I, I did read that you're a big Cardiacs fan. Oh yeah, I mean that yeah. was one of those after Yip Yip. I was I was my friend. Uh, I we toured with this band called Zom Zoms, and it was really fun like 2004 we met them and like we were touring with them in 2005 we wore checker costumes they wore polka dot costumes and they in 2005 basically you know when people don't know cardiacs and you know that they're gonna like it it's like you're giving them the best gift you know like i'll never forget them showing me cardiacs and then i was on tour so we just listened to them like this whole tour um uh, it, it absolutely you know that that was one of the the last pieces of the puzzle for me i mean cardiacs is is everything everything to me do you, you know devo residents and cardiacs i mean and, and, a, and a bunch of others but those three are the main like i i my writing salad changed the second after i heard cardiacs and i'll forever be trying to write like cardiacs but it's almost impossible it's like they they were so good <laughs> and i am so bad <laughs> <laughs> um what's uh what what was your headspace uh for uh, real gems for little jewels uh that is different or 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 in contrast with the uh, blob on a grid well, uh, I started trying to write it 
you know, immediately after Blob on a Grid. It started while I was still in New York. Then we moved back to Florida and I spent a year in Tampa where I absolutely struggled so hard <laughs> for an entire year. I worked on music every day and didn't finish a single song. Just madness, you know? And uh, and then I think I finished two at the, towards the end of being in Tampa. And then we got to Gainesville where I am now and things finally started clicking. And it's it's hard to put it in words with it. I mean, a lot of the stuff, it's, it's this damn gear and you know, you'll, you'll get an idea and you'll follow it. And it, you may have to buy some crap, you know, to make the idea work. And then you set it up and you get it sort of working, but then it doesn't actually work or make good songs in the way that you hoped. And it's, and you've potentially lost three months just like tinkering or experimenting or whatever, experimenting kind of in the worst way. I often have to kind of reset. I think I kind of just did that this past week. I sort of reset to a more blob on a grid era, semi-minimal setup because, you know, every now and then, every every six months or a year, I feel like I like get to a point where I go, where I just get so confused with the options and like, it kind of come to the point of making a song where I'm like, I can't do this in an hour, nor can I do it in a week. <laughs> like I work, I work full time. You know, you, you have to be able to, you have to, you have to either be able to do it semi quickly or you have to be able to compartmentalize it and, in, and, in, fragments that you can work on every day around work and keep the thing going without losing track. And I can easily add too many things to the wish list of what I'd love to do in music. And or cardiacs is a great example. Every time I hear cardiacs, I I want to write better, but like, dang, if you if you if you can't naturally do it, you might go crazy just trying to figure out a back door to it you know like uh and um anyway so it so happened that when covid happened i was starting to hit a good streak of of writing and so i kind of had this weird covid thing where i was actually i was promoted to full time i didn't lose my job during covid i was promoted to full time because so many people had quit and um, I just got in a really good, healthy songwriting uh, situation where I was just getting a song done about one a month, which is good for me. And I um, started, you know, the album really started to shape up. Um, there's, you know, the big differences is I try to incorporate other pieces of gear that I think are interesting, not so much the old Eventide harmonizer, but I have this Eventide sampler, the uh, does real-time time stretching in a really interesting way where you can time stretch a sound to like literally, you know, frozen waveform, you know, in real time, like any, anything you could record, you can like just go and just like <laughs> freeze it in time and use it as an oscillator or something. I have a lot of like, you know, neat little things that I picked up. And like I said, some of them, I maybe went crazy trying to figure out ways of properly using them. But once I started finding a way to use them in a good order, 
songs started happening. And so I think that, um, and then I had no shows to distract me, you know, no show shows can be shows are awesome and I'm happy to be playing them again, but they, they are a distraction. You know, you have to kind of stop your day-to-day work and like put the crap back together and practice your set and all that stuff. And I didn't have any of that for, you know, two years or whatever. So I, I was able to rack up like pretty much the whole album month by month. Um, and yeah, there's, there's differences just from incorporating some of those different pieces of gear, trying to show off their interesting things that they would do. A lot of what I'm trying to do with Cabo Boing stuff is just showcasing things that I think are really interesting about pieces of equipment that I have that I think do things that nothing else really does. Um, and uh, it just so happened that I think Real Jumps for Little Jewels sounds a little bit more poppy or almost even full circle sort of yip yip in some ways because by using this other sampler, I was able to get like more clean sounds to balance the gnarly pitch shifting sounds. And, um, and so I've had a lot of people kind of respond to that well, um, as far as, you know, it actually sounding good or not completely, you know, I, I love Blob on a Grid, but, you know, I mean, some of it is a little hard to listen to because it's all going through this super gnarly pitch shifter that makes everything sound kind of amazing, but also kind of <laughs> distorted and bad maybe <laughs> mm. i i'm i'm uh but like i'm kind of like i'm starting new songs and i'm kind of going back to some of the blob on a grid sort of stuff i mean i'm always also looking back and trying to or even like you brought up scudnips i reference scudnips a lot and go you know can we have a little bit of that <laughs> yeah like th- those are magical days when we put that together you know like i i I, I want some of that too. The a lot of the real gems for little jewel stuff was really written very meticulous, slow. You know, a trombone sample in a song might have a thousand literal samples strung together. It would take all day to you know to line them up. You know that I think it's an interesting concept that I followed, but it's also. <laughs> a lot less fun than just getting a machine to kind of spit out something weird in real time. What inspires you outside of music for Carbo Boy? I mean, pinball is, is, uh, I already said that, but pinball is a thing. Anytime I go play pinball, I'm really, I kind of, it's what it's one of my like things I like to do to kind of reset my brain. And I love to like play pinball if I'm on vacation or something, you know, when I'm away from my equipment, just like play pinball and be like, this is what it's all about is like sound design, you know, like I'm just so interested in like the sound design behind like early pinball games, you know. Um aesthetically as well. Huh? Aesthetically as well. They just look great. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean uh, the the art of yeah. early pinball is unbelievable too. I mean, I I love pinball machines. I, what a great thing to have been exposed to. I've I, I've never met anyone that grew up with pinball machines in the house their whole lives. Like, I've, there's pictures of me as a baby, like sitting on top of pinball machines. Like, that's that's not going anywhere. Yeah. You know? Um, and then 
I don't know. Honestly, what inspires me now, I sort of already said it, but I'm just, I, I'm, I feel very lucky to be able to still be making stuff. I'm very inspired by my friends. I'm very inspired to try to keep people interested in making music and, and pushing themselves, um, you know, and, 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 uh, yeah, that's, that's a big, big inspiration. My friends are, are my biggest inspiration for sure. And growing that, the, those friends, uh, I'm trying to be more there for people who aren't, it's easy to be friends with Macula dog, you know, they, they're, <laughs> who wouldn't want to be friends with the band that's making your favorite music, you know? I'm trying to be as good of friends with them as I am with people who are playing their first shows at the like experimental synthesizer night they hold at the pizza place once a month. You know, like I, I want, I want to be friends with them too. And I want to help them in any way that I can to get them to be uh, on a course where they could be doing this for years and years. Like I have an, an experience, like what I have as far as, you know, the, um, the uh, the joy that I've gotten even like from this last album coming out when you have so many friends in your life that are so supportive and you know like it's I want everyone to have that you know it's the best feeling every time I release an album I'm like okay I'm gonna be doing this forever I just <laughs> well it would be it would be a shame for me not to why wouldn't I that's community i don't i don't yeah i don't take it for granted at all i don't take the community for granted as much and i don't take friends and friendship and anybody who's who's there with me i'm just like so happy i just want to keep i want to keep doing it i want to show i want to be mark mother's Baptist, you know these younger friends that i have you know be like yeah i'm turning 40 in a couple weeks Oh, wow. look at me <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm still still exactly the same basically just older and maybe more emotional about it all is there anything else lined up not really i mean i'm just playing shows when people ask i would like to tour um but as i told you like first thing like we um moved recently um so i kind of have to wait for money things to kind of yeah, <laughs> calm down. We were paying like two two different rent uh, rent on two places for a while that really like drained us. So it would have been awesome to go out on a tour right after the album came out, but that just wasn't in the cards. So maybe in the fall, um, I'd love to get a tour going. Or if any of my friends want a tour, they should should message me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I love being kicked. I like being pushed into a tour, not pushing other people into a tour. So, you know, it'd be awesome if one of my more ambitious friends would <laughs> ask me, because I would say, yes, I've got paid time off. Well, if, if, <laughs> if, ever, um, if, if, uh, if there's ever a European visit and uh, you play London, I'll, I'll, I'll be all over it, mate. Oh my gosh, I'd love to. I've never, I've never played there. I've, we, Yip Yip did one European tour, but we didn't play the uh, UK at all. Yeah, it was a bummer. But um, I would, you know, I'd, I'd love to do all those things. I, but I'm also, I don't know, I'm kind of realistic. I, uh, you know, I don't know how anybody's doing this stuff right now. You know, it's just, 
gas prices and stuff are like so crazy it's like how is anyone on tour right now like yeah without saving without just burning thousands of dollars you know so um all right last one favorite the well favorite devo album and favorite residence album oh. so it's sort of two questions really but go on that's that's pretty easy actually the, oh, really? oh no it's devo oh no it's devo is still my favorite it's yeah. The first one I got, I know it changed my brain. And as much as I like Shout for what I said earlier, I like Oh No, It's Devo because of the mix of equipment there. I uh, I just don't think it gets any better than, yeah, I, I love that, like, I love that era of music when there was starting to be digital stuff, there was starting to be samplers, there was starting to be sequencers and computers and samplers i already said that but also analog synths and you could sequence them and you know analog drum pads making weird explosion sounds you know i mean i love i love that mix i try to make sure my stuff i'm always trying to keep that balance as someone who i have i have like something of like every type of sound i like to hear you know and so i try to keep it Keep, I want I want them all present. You know, I want my FM synthesizer clangs and I want my cruddy drum machine <laughs> sounding like dirt. And you know, they're they're all my friends and I invite them to every song. Sure. Uh the residence duck stab, hands down. Duck stab is was life-changing and it was especially life-changing the more I understood what they were doing. Um to me, Duck Stab is a the best demonstration record for the Eventide H910 that's ever existed because it's on every single thing that's happening <laughs> in that album. And uh, yeah, Duck Stab rules, but close second to a commercial album. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think for me, Devo. I really love Duty Now for the Future. Yeah, I really, I, I just love the. Uh... It's got a slight bite to it, which I which I like. It's got a it's got a slightly acidic uh, touch to it, and uh, but but my absolute favorite Devo song is um, Smart Patrol. Yeah, and I think Devo isn't celebrated. People don't often talk about their guitar solos, do they? But that's got an amazing solo. Yeah, uh, Smart Patrol. Oh my god! I mean, I very important to note that I love. Almost everything <laughs> that either of them yeah. have done, really. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a wild fan, and it's almost. I mean, yeah, favorite Devo songs, uh, "Swelling Itching Brain" is yeah. a huge one. Um, you know, Jocko Homo was a life changer for Yip Yip because I think that was one of the first times we understood time signatures. Like, we were like, "Why is this song so weird?" And you figure out it's in seven eight, and you're like, "Oh." I can do that. Like, so we didn't know anything about music theory, but we knew we could set our little acid music software to be in seven, eight instead of four, four. And what do you know? The songs are <laughs> more interesting now, you know? Yeah. Um, you know? Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd say Devo was more important early in Yip Yip. That was a big Yip Yip one. And then the residents, I liked the residents when I was in Yip Yip. But the residents more since Cabo Boing has been like, it's, it's, it grew 
it grew, it, it grew to be more important where I'm just, I envy and, and very much go for a similar like alien sound that they had. Like they had, you know, to me, duck stab doesn't sound like anything and it doesn't sound like human beings made it, but it's still incredibly musical and yeah. it will get stuck in your head. Yeah. So sure. um, unbelievable to think that they'd made that without there. There's not much you can point to before it that, like would you know i just i love uh instances of artists getting their hands on certain equipment and taking it all the way you know so many people had access maybe to the same harmonizer and they were doing little little detunes on their snare or something you know the residents were like reinventing music with it um so you know the sampling i think is one of the most amazing uh inventions of all time you know i think my last big interesting thing is you know auto-tune and like phase vocoder technology where you can you know freeze your voice in any pitch and stuff i use that with cabo boing and um and you know i i love to hear it even in pop to this day like whenever i hear somebody abusing auto-tune and some <laughs> really interesting way i'm so happy about it um i just i that's my favorite thing is to see people just read deep in your in your owner's manual and try to see what uh what it can do that other people aren't doing absolutely yeah um uh well uh yeah brian uh thanks so much for this man i really appreciate your time and uh yeah really great uh just been great chatting music with you man you know yeah no you're amazing i mean it's hard to, i didn't even think that uh, you know i <laughs> i was nervous because i didn't really know you uh before this but I, so i was like oh my gosh i mean you could ask anything um but no this was so natural i mean i, I love conversations like this so thank you so much no my pleasure mate and uh yeah all, all the best for everything and uh as i say i uh i would oh should should that uh should the, should the London gig happen? I I'd, I'd be there in a flash, man. And uh, I look, I, and your yeah, new album's great. Uh, and uh, looking forward to what you come up with uh, uh, in the near future, buddy. All right, take it easy. Thank you so much. Thanks. Brian Essa, Carbo Boing. Uh, was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I loved it. I love chatting. Uh, I, I love chatting music with anybody. Who's uh, who's equally as passionate, and uh, I particularly like chatting Devo with somebody uh, at length. Uh, yeah, it was a much loved band. It was great to, to uh, just sit and chat about Devo for a lot, for a long time. And I will check out Shout uh, upon his uh, reappraisal. Or I will uh, I'll definitely review that album. I've, I've always, as I said in the chat, I've always stopped at Oh No, It's Devo, but uh, perhaps I've been um, perhaps I've been unfairly. Uh, stopping at their uh, with their output at Shout Just definitely give that a go um, do make sure you check out the new album Real Gems for Little Jewels uh, again I loved it just more more kind of sort of electronic splatter blob music it's just great uh, yeah he's really really uh, cutting some some very unique uh, innovative electronic music um, and uh, you must make sure you uh, listen to that new album and uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know, immerse yourself in his prior work with the uh, Yip Yip and 
uh, scud nips um, well you know uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed it and uh, I hope you're enjoying the summer and uh, hope all is well with the listeners and anyone that's listening uh, I've been Tom I've been the he- uh, I'm the head at Heads on Sticks uh, just to let you know uh, you, if you may have missed it but I'm starting a new residency with uh, Arja Radio in Deptford uh, down the road from me so uh, that'll be every first Friday um, at 3 o'clock this will, this will, uh, this will be like the flagship show the kind of, the kind of mother show if you like uh, and it'll just be a two hour mash of everything going on at Head HQ so um, do tune in and uh, and uh, as I say yeah, the, the debut show will be uh, Friday the 3rd of June and that'll be a bank holiday alright so no excuses um, the podcast will keep going and uh, yeah you know uh, yeah <laughs> so yeah but, uh, there you go yeah if you like if you like the podcast uh, do do like it do subscribe to it uh, tell your friends uh, do head over to my main site headsonsticks.co.uk for weekly write-ups and weekly reviews and and uh, thoughts on new releases and albums that uh, that I like check out my show Spitting Static on 1020 Radio proper weird synth punk kind of kind of a uh, uh, sort of almost like a piece of sound art uh, on 1020 Radio uh, there is a Roxy Music special coming up on Nudes Radio um, that'd be uh, 50 years of Roxy Music at Nudes I have a I have a kind of as and when occasional residency with Nudes so do check that out and uh, yeah I think that's I think that's kind of the main things that's happening in the Heads and Sticks uh, world so um, yeah do, do tell your friends about the podcast as I say give it a like give it a, give it a, give it a subscribe and um, yeah and tell, you, tell your great aunt Gladys um, right well that's me that's Tom the head of Heads and Sticks Chats uh, big thanks to Brian Essa and Carbo uh, aka Carbo Boyne for his uh, chat and uh, I'll, I'll see you next time for the 10th episode all the best peace out peace out